What is up, guys? Welcome to the Tony and Dakota podcast. Today, we got a special virtual guest that Tony's going to introduce. We got introduced to this guy through Cody Myers. He's our videographer, and he'll be bumping in occasionally during this podcast just because he's one of Josh's true fans. He's been there for a long time, and he's super excited that we're interviewing Josh. Uh, This is Joshua Blake Varnell. And uh, he's mostly known as Harry Tornado uh, across social media. Uh, looked at his YouTube and went, wowza, holy crap. He's got 373,000 plus subs. He's got 45,000 followers on Instagram. Personally, I like the shorter clips. I think some of those little, uh, uh, that one with his dog, especially. You guys go on his Instagram. You'll know which one I'm talking about. It looks like he named his his dog after uh, Jeb, right? Jeb Shroot? Uh, Moe's. <laughs> oh, Moe's. Gosh, okay. Well, That's this, one of Dwight's cousins. Josh Farnell, the Harry Tornado. Thank you for coming on. Flip Life Master. Of course. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Love it. So, Josh, you had a 2023 FlipCon in your uh i think it was your link tree and then it looked like you actually got to speak at that event you've become this authority on flip life showing people how to do it do you have a complex now where you just believe that you're a god and you just you know are above everyone else or talk talk about how you've made progress and where you think you are now compared to normal everyday folks yeah, uh, I I definitely don't have a complex, although some people on YouTube, uh, some of the haters may may think so. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we've we've uh, I, I learned really on in in terms of like social media and growth, like authenticity and uh, just being relatable to like the common viewer on YouTube is is very important to to grow people. Um, I mean, there are multiple ways to grow on social media, but like that's the best way, in my opinion, because that's um it's not based on like trends or you doing something weird. It's just people follow you because that's just who you are, you know? So you, it's, it's hard to lose that. Um, but yeah, we've, I've learned a lot in the last four or five years of flipping stuff. We actually hosted, um, hosted FlipCon. That was my wife and I that put on that event. Um, and, uh, it's awesome just seeing everybody come together and, and learn and be motivated to, to keep flipping and get better at flipping and, you know, implement social media into their flipping business to, um, you know, get more eyeballs on their business and more eyeballs equals more customers usually. So it's been great. So selfishly, before we move on to another question, selfishly, Dakota and I would like to host events, maybe something similar to that FlipCon. Uh, If you feel comfortable with it, give us an idea of how much it cost you, how much you were able to benefit from it financially if you were able to you know sell affiliates and products because it looks like you've got some good systems crms things like that to help people with their flip business in general give us an idea of what it looks like to put on an event that that expensive and that extravagant uh so it was our second year doing it last year it was a day and a half um and we had some meals had some speakers um you know some goodie bags and we didn't really know exactly what we were doing um, and the, having an event at a hotel is very expensive. 
Um, because in order to use a hotel, you either, you either have to pay like crazy rental prices or use the hotel for catering, which is the most expensive food in the world, hotel food. Um, so last year we last year we did pretty well. I think we made like twelve thousand dollars in profit after everything. Um, this year I wanted to extend the the event another day to make it two and a half days because one and a half days just felt a little rushed. Um, so we extended an extra day, added three extra meals basically, and only increased the ticket prices by like thirty five dollars. Um, and that ended up being a little bit of of a mistake. We actually, I think we lost like fifteen hundred bucks this year, um, but. It was good. I mean, we did have several sponsors at the event. We do have affiliates with them. So we might make money down the road after that, you know, surge in sponsorship, um, you know, signups for, you know, platforms like whatnot. And my reseller genie and list perfectly once those come to fruition and we start getting paid for those that happened at the event, that'll probably put us into the profit. But um, yeah, events are really expensive. Uh, like just the food cost this year was, I think it got down to like $250 a person. Um, and so like, uh, you know, I think we had 240 people there. So that was like $57,000 just for the food. Um, and then we had to pay, we paid for the rooms and airfare for our speakers that came in. We had 18 speakers. Um, and that was really the bulk of the cost. Other things like, you know, the swag bags, you know, if you get a, a swag bag and you get a thing that costs two bucks, that doesn't sound like a lot of money, but when you have, you need 250 of them, that's $500 per item. If there's 10 items in the swag bag that all cost two bucks, it, you know, it adds up really fast. So walk us through how you got started flipping stuff. I don't know a whole lot of your background or anything like that. And then how did you go from, okay, I'm going to flip stuff to I'm going to go and, you know, put this on social media and actually have people start following me. Walk us through the beginning and then how you, to where you're at now. Uh, yeah. So the first, I've actually answered uh, this question before and I realize I've never answered it correctly. People always ask like, what's the first thing I've ever flipped? And I usually say it was an, an, an Adidas windbreaker because that was the first thing I ever sold on eBay. But the first thing I ever sold for a profit was this sewing machine table. I bought it at Goodwill for like eight bucks and I was going to keep it personally. And I just it ended up not working for our space. Uh, and so we sold it on Facebook Marketplace for like 30. I was like, oh my gosh, I just made a $22 profit. Like that's that's pretty good, you know? Um, so I just started you know, buying stuff at Goodwill for personal use for, I had been doing that for years. And I would always find cool things. I'm like, oh, it's a pair of Jordans. Those are awesome, but they're not my size. So I guess I can't get them. And then one day I was like, why don't I just buy them and sell them? Like, why Why do I have to only get stuff for myself? So I started flipping stuff, started watching YouTube videos back in like 2018. And I realized that there was like, there was definitely a demand there. Like the videos and reselling back then were getting views, but the production quality standard was really low. People didn't really have great personalities. And I felt like I could... I felt like there was a need for better content in that in that category. Um, so I just started documenting videos about me figuring out reselling. Like I'd watch other people. I'd try what they were doing. I'd try new things that I was creating and just figure out what worked. Um, and people kind of latched on to that pretty, pretty early. I think it definitely has more to do with my personality than my uh, business savviness. Like everything I've learned about reselling in YouTube has come from YouTube. Um, so I definitely don't claim to be you know, a person that has created anything of, of substance. Uh, I just kind of learn from other people and then package it in a, in a way that's um, that people really respond to. Mm. What do you think is the difference? Cause we, we've got a, a guy who works for us here in the office. He's really good as an administrative assistant. He gets so much stuff done and he does some flip life type stuff on the side. 
What do you think it makes the difference between going from being a small on the side type flipper to making it your full-time profession and hitting it quote unquote big? What is the the difference? I think just consistency. Like it's pretty easy to walk into a thrift store or garage sale and find something that's like under market value and then just like clean it up, take some pictures, put it online and sell it. Um, but to make it a full-time income, you know, obviously you have to do that consistently enough to pull off, you know, three, four five grand a month, whatever it takes to, to be full-time for you and still have enough money in the business to keep the flip going. Um, so I don't know, it took a, I, I started, I was an insurance underwriter for a long time and I started flipping on YouTube while I was still doing that full-time. So I was doing, you know, maybe five to 10 hours a week on YouTube and eBay making like a thousand bucks a month. So I live in South Carolina. That's actually you could probably live on like $12,000 a year if you really, really cut it. Um, but I got laid off from my insurance job back in August of 2019, I think. Um, and at that time, you know, I was still making a thousand bucks a month. But by getting laid off, I had an extra 45 hours a week to put towards the business. So after about three or four months of doing that, really, you know, ironing out the kinks in our, you know, our whole process of business, like getting stuff, cleaning it, listing it, shipping it out getting all that situated and having just more time to learn new categories and buy more stuff. Um, within about four months, by January, I was already making more with reselling on YouTube than I was as an insurance underwriter. Uh, and that was probably like, I don't know, like 50 grand a year, something like that, roughly. I was making 42, 42 a year um, you know, before taxes as an insurance underwriter. So by January, I was probably making about 50 a year with reselling on YouTube. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate? It's not like what you see on HGTV. We created a course to show you how to really invest and create a profitable flipping and wholesaling business. We show you where to find the money, how to find the deals, and how to negotiate the deals. We go over live sales calls, including negotiations, scripts, role-playing, and so much more. Everything that you need to know to flip houses is in this course. And if there's a video that we didn't make that you want, We'll make it for you. This knowledge has made us well over a million dollars and it's available right now for $9.97. Click the link below, buy the course. That's awesome. Uh, the woman that you have in your videos, is that like your girlfriend, your wife? It's my wife, Haley. Uh, we've been married uh, for since 2017, so however long that is. Um, and she has a degree in biochemistry from Clemson. She worked uh, for the county. She was the wastewater treatment lab director. Uh, and it just got to the point where yeah, I started flipping stuff and then I went full time and then she was kind of getting a little jealous of like my freedom because I could go and travel and see people and make YouTube videos and I was doing this all this cool stuff and she was working, you know, 50 hours a week doing some job she didn't really like. And it got to the point where the business kept growing and we weren't really even cashing her paychecks basically. So I was like, "Why are you working?" Um so it took a long time because she didn't she had a pretty prestigious job and she had worked hard for a degree, so it was hard for her to give that up. It wasn't so much about the money. Uh, but then when she quit and we had all this freedom and, you know, we don't set alarms anymore. We work a lot. We work more now than we did before, but at least we work, uh, you know, benefiting ourselves directly and not other people. That's awesome. So she's sort of like a partner in the business now. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're pretty much 50, 50. It, when she started, she kind of took over the reselling and I started working more on YouTube. Um, but now we both, I mean, she edits videos. I edit videos. We go buy stuff together. You know, she'll go on her own sourcing trips. Um, she, she does everything I do uh, pretty much. Co awesome. Cody's been preparing some questions here. So you can come over here and ask. Yeah. What's up, man? What's up? <laughs> How are you? 
I'm so good. I don't think I've ever talked to you in person before, just on Instagram. Yeah, Instagram <laughs> or YouTube messaging. Yep. Cody's our videographer here at the office. Sweet. Mm-hmm. All right. I wrote down a few questions. Um. All right. How long do you see yourself reselling for? I'll be reselling forever. I mean, right. even if I'm a billionaire, like the the it's not really about the money. It's about like the 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 thrill of the hunt, you know. Yeah. Um. I mean, even we went YouTube. Like YouTube is probably like seventy five percent of our income. So it's like reselling is not really about the money now. It's more about the content and just like the fun of going into Goodwill and finding something for a dollar and selling it for a hundred bucks. Like that's always going to be fun, no matter how much money we have. Yeah. Same here. It's always the back of my mind, even if mm-hmm. you know, I don't need the money. It's just, I'm always thinking about that when I'm going into stores and stuff. Yeah. Hard sales. It's, it's basically like finding money on the ground. Yeah. Like if you find something on, if you find something in the store for a dollar that, you know, you can sell for a hundred, like the next day, it's financially the same as finding a hundred bucks. So like ask anybody, how long are you going to like finding money on the ground? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not do that forever, man. Yeah. I, I got a question actually similar to that. So uh, I actually flipped a bunch of stuff back in the day too. So I used to always flip TVs when TVs were just crazy. You could find yeah. them really good deals. And I was always making like somewhere between, you know, a hundred to 200 bucks a pop every single time. Cause I was good at negotiating and stuff. And then Ryan Pineda, I'm not sure if you heard of him, but he's our flip yeah. coach for real estate. He started off in couches. Cody. I remember Cody always liked shoes a lot. Is there mm-hmm. something that's like, dude, I love flipping this one item. Is there like one item that's like, this is my jam. I want this. I don't know. I, I, I like plush, uh, like stuffed animals, um, because I mean, honestly, most of them are, aren't really worth much, but there are a couple that are, re- we actually just sold one today for 150 bucks. Um, it's just something that most people look over and they're easy to ship. They don't break. You don't have to worry about them breaking in shipment. Um, a lot of people just, you find them at garage sales, they're 25 cents, 50 cents, whatever. Um, they're everywhere, which again, most of them are, are worthless, but because they're so plentiful, a lot of people overlook them. So it's really nice having kind of built up of a, a, like a knowledge bank of ones that are valuable uh, and being able to make some really nice sales. We found one one time it was Plank from the Cartoon Network show, Ed, Ed and Eddie. I don't know if you guys remember that, yep. uh, but it turned out to be super rare. We paid like 10 cents for it at the Goodwill Bins and that one sold for like $195. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's freaking awesome. What is what is the most amount of money that you've made on one item? I remember I'll tell you a real quick story too. Uh, I went into like this garage sale. It was like this. Uh, it was a globe. It was made out of precious like stones or something like that. They had it listed for twenty bucks. I negotiated them down to five dollars, and then we ended up selling it the next day for a uh, hundred. And so for me, I was like, "This is this is so fun." Like uh, yeah. we do real estate and stuff, so it doesn't make the most sense just because like, you know, we're using skills that we could use for big ticket items, but it's still fun. But what's your most profitable thing that you've ever flipped? Are you letting deals fall through the cracks because you don't have good systems in place? We've been there before. And honestly, we've tried several different CRMs and RE Simply has been the absolute best. RE Simply tracks your KPIs, does automatic follow-ups for you, and even records incoming phone calls. The system is very easy to use, and honestly, it has more features than we even know what to do with. If you're looking for a great CRM, try RE Simply today. Click the link in the description below. Check it out now. Um, I think it was some Bowflex weights back when COVID first hit, like gym equipment just spiked through the roof. Uh, and I was constantly sourcing Facebook Marketplace, trying to find a deal on Bowflex adjustable weights. And I fell in the pair that was like, they were like two and a half hours away. The guy wanted like 400 bucks and they were selling for about 1200 at the time. 
And I messaged him and he said they were still available, but a bunch of people were were messaged. All the resellers wanted them. So I offered him $600 if he would take them down from Facebook and I'd come pick them up in the morning. And he agreed. So I drove about you know four and a half hours round trip, paid him 600 bucks and they sold overnight for I think 1150 plus shipping. Um, so that was like, you know, 500 bucks in profit on, on one item. But we've done a lot of like bulk deals where I'll like, this one guy bought a bunch of video games from him for a thousand bucks and it took maybe three months to sell everything, but we ended up making like $3,300 and did the same thing with a group of golf clubs paid, I think, I don't know, like 1200 I think it was $1,250 for all the clubs and ended up making about $3,800 on those. Uh, but again, that took a while to, you know, six or nine months to sell everything. Yep. That's awesome. Um, so I know you're more into what now, now right? Yeah. So have you noticed a huge difference in sales, profit, gross numbers versus eBay to whatnot? Um, I mean, we, we so we still do eBay. eBay is really great for like bigger ticket items and things that just need like a specific buyer. But if it's just like basic stuff that's just cool and it's worth, you know, 15 to 40 bucks, like whatnot's really good for that. Um, and, and although we make more money per item, we only sell stuff on whatnot if we do a live show and we only do maybe two to three live shows a week. So we actually still probably sell more things on eBay because we're making sales every single day there, no matter what we do. Um, but on whatnot, you know, we'll, we'll have to actually go live. So we did a show today, sold like 20 things, but we probably won't do another show until Wednesday. And then we probably won't do another show after that until maybe Sunday of next week. Um, so I don't know, they go hand in hand really well together. Uh, we love whatnot. It's it's been awesome. It's a great way to move stuff really quickly. Um, their referral program is really generous. At least it used to be. It's still okay now, but it used to be if someone signed up with your link, you would get um, they'd signed up and they get fifteen dollars in credit. And if they use that to buy anything on whatnot from anybody, we would get fifty dollars in cash. Uh, so we made I don't know probably like fifty or sixty thousand dollars from that. Um, and we also have over 6,000 people that have signed up for whatnot and haven't bought anything yet. And the referrals, even though the referral bonus structure has changed now, they still honor it retroactively. So if we can do something to co convince those 6,000 people to use their free credit, we would still get the $50 in cash. So that's like $300,000 just sitting there waiting for people to, to buy something. So I'm constantly trying to come up with $15 items that, that will get people's attention enough to, you know, use that credit nice that's awesome um i have another question are you are you still uh rehabbing that rental or the uh property yeah. you bought how's that yeah going? we bought we bought a house uh paid cash for it back in february um basically we bought it for youtube content so the real estate side of the deal it was not a very good deal we paid 155 for it and then appraised for 161 so basically paid full price um but it's in a pretty good neighborhood like a really good rental market uh, and we just wanted to have a new direction for the channel. Like we just, all, all, of our, all of our videos got to be where we were just making money. And that was it. Like there's no purpose of the money. So I'm like, what we need to give ourselves a purpose, give us a story for our viewers to follow. Uh, so we bought it and we're calling it the $20 flip house. So paid cash for it. It was built in 1970, brick ranch. Everything's original, super ugly, but solid. Um, so we started with 20 bucks, took that $20 to the Goodwill bought four or five things, sold them, made like 70, took that 70 back to Goodwill, bought, you know, 10 things and just kept that going until we got to, got up to about $500 in the budget. And then we bought a dumpster, did the, did the demo ourselves um, and just kept that cycle going. Like as we needed things for the house, 
we would just flip stuff until we made that money. And then we'd peel off that profit, put it into the house and then keep the flip going on the other side. So, so far we've probably done, well, now that we, we just did the windows, the windows were really expensive. So we've probably done like $20,000, 18 to $20,000 in work uh, to the house, but we still haven't put any extra money into it out, outside of that original 20 bucks. Where's that property at? It's in Irmo, South Carolina. Okay. Yeah. And in bigger cities, you can uh, look into Airbnb too. We have a lot of properties that otherwise wouldn't have necessarily made sense as rentals, but as Airbnbs, they still turn a pretty good property. We thought about doing Airbnb uh, because of our YouTube audience, like, you know, 373,000 followers. Like, it'd be cool to watch you. I thought it'd be cool for them to watch us, like, fix the house and then they could come stay in it. Um, And we'd probably have, you know, three to five rentals per month with that. But I just did the math that, you know, there's full houses in our area on Airbnb for like a hundred bucks a night. And so I'm like, all right, if we get a hundred bucks a night after fees, we'd have to rent it 23 nights a month or something to, to make the same. We would just renting it. We could probably get $1,500 a month for it, just renting it long-term um, with much less headache. So I, I have a business idea for you right now, Josh, just hit me. And it would be so awesome. And it'd be awesome content. So you can steal it. I don't care. I don't want any royalties or anything. Do you, do you like Gary V? Oh yeah. Okay. Dakota's got a V friend, so he can sell you the next VCon ticket. You can sign up to stand in the line, meet Gary V and then ask him to come to your, uh, flip con 2024. Yeah. And then you can, you can partner with somebody and make a, uh, an NFT where for all of your followers so that they can uh go airbnb that for free as long as they own the nft that's pretty good i like that it's giving nft some utility <laughs> i'm not a big fan of you nfts without utility i've got my friend carrie his name's uh his social media is american arbitrage uh he actually gary gary v dm'd him the other day because he's been doing some sport card stuff in the industry uh and they've been talking and i was trying to get Carrie to invite Gary to FlipCon this year, but he's not quite there in the relationship yet. That'd be so awesome. And I don't think Gary is going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina anytime soon. I don't know, dude. He came to Indianapolis and then he was in Minneapolis. Like those places are like, you know, like Charlotte, I feel like is more prestigious. Well, more well-known than Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah. When when Dakota and I went to VCon too, there was a stupid long line to meet Gary. Well, I talked to somebody that had the the V friend and he was basically like, oh man, it was so much better this year because you just put in what time you wanted to go see Gary. Mm -hmm. Like it just had a schedule and then Gary just met with people like they just kept moving people through the line, but then you'd actually get to meet him in person. Yeah. Do you keep a a list of your inventory? Like how do you keep a list of all that? Like you put in a spreadsheet and you're like, all right, here's what we bought this all for. Like, no, we... I, I tried that for like a month. It's just, it's difficult. I yeah, mean, it's just so much to keep up with. Um, I was talking to my accountant and we we have a, a bookkeeper now. And I was like, is it really important to keep up with everything? Because I'm like, if you look at, you know, Chick-fil-A, they're not tracking every single piece of chicken that they sell. You know, they're looking at the big picture for the month. Uh, so we just got to where, you know, anytime we use our debit or credit card for the business, that transaction is saved on that account and it comes into our bookkeeping software. Um, so the only thing we really track is cash purchases. And even that is just like, we'll use our business debit card, go to the ATM, get a thousand bucks out to go to the you know flea market or garage sales. Um, and just, we always spend it. Um, it also helps. We have YouTube videos that kind of like our video evidence of all these transactions as well. 
Uh, so we don't, we don't really track inventory. I just track like total, total money in total money out, you know, just get a, a good enough answer for the IRS every year. Uh, and if they ever question it, I'll just send them a link to my YouTube channel and they can watch every single transaction we've done. That's what, so let's pretend the IRS is not watching this because, mm -hmm. <laughs> you is know, I've actually, I talk, I talked to my accountant and I'm like, I feel like video evidence is like the best receipt you can't, you can have because you can right. fake a spreadsheet or whatever, you know? hundred percent. So I want to talk about if there is no video evidence. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'll tell you the actual reason I'm asking this. So uh, we buy a lot of properties. We're buying like tons of them every, every month. And then a lot of times they have so much stuff in there. Right. And there's like thousands of dollars. So there's a lady that actually just up and left, moved to Texas, left all this stuff in there. So somebody I know might have sold some stuff in there. Um, and made, you know, a couple thousand dollars. And I'm like, it, and then her mom is like, oh, you should probably start tracking that. You know, the IRS might come. I'm like, they're not going to come after you on this cash stuff. Now, if you're doing it like you do it, then maybe. But I'm I'm, uh, I'm curious on like, you know, how much you think or your tax account or anybody says like you should track this stuff for cash or what would you suggest to the people? Like, let's say they do this, they make $5,000 a year. You think they should say it or what do you, what do you think? I mean, yeah, so- you should definitely like pay taxes on all the money you make. Um, I think tracking your income, like your actual taxable income is super important. And we know how much money we make. I just don't know exactly how much I sold this one tiny item for, you know, like we might sell a thousand things in a month. I'm like, I don't, on average, I don't know. I know I made 10,000 bucks this month or whatever. So you can do the math and figure out on average what we made, but we don't track, oh, I made $5 on this and $12 on this. I'm just like, Hey, we spent 2000 bucks at the flea market this month. We sold $8,000 worth of stuff uh, or $8,000 in revenue. So 6,000 bucks in profit minus some other expenses. So we do track our profit and we know how much money we actually will owe taxes on. Um, we just don't track our actual indiv individual inventory piece by piece. Okay, you get but yeah, if you're, even if you're in cash, you should definitely, I, I'm not going to tell you not to, not to report that income. You can do whatever you want. I think I don't know. There's supposed to be a new law that was supposed to happen last year, but they kicked the can down the road. But I think currently, if you sell less than $20,000 worth of stuff on eBay, eBay's not going to generate a 1099 form to the IRS. So it'd be up to you to report that. I'm telling you, you should report that. Um, but if you don't, you know, they're not going to know, I guess, but that, you know, that's on you. Pulling data lists like vacant houses, mortgage foreclosures, and tax delinquent properties is important to direct-to-seller marketing. Batch Leads is the main platform where we store our sellers' data and skip trace owners for their phone numbers, emails, and addresses. On other platforms, you end up having to pay twice for the same contact if you've already skip traced it. My favorite thing about batch leads is that if you skip traced a contact once, you never have to pay for that contact again. Batch leads has SMS texting campaigns, direct mail marketing, and driving for dollars app integrated in a simple to use interface. Click the link below and try batch leads today. Right. And then, so do you have anything that uh, tracks your inventory or do you know how much you have in inventory or like you just, you're like, man, I made so much profit. It doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, I mean, so like there's a, there's a program called my reseller genie that has like an option for you to track your inventory and see how much, um, what you're selling and your average sales price and all this stuff. Um, but we, especially with whatnot now we just roll through stuff so, so quickly. 
Um, I met a guy at FlipCon that has like 80,000 active listings on his eBay store. He sells like high-end collectibles, so they might take two or three years to actually sell. So he, if you have a business like that, you might need to actually track your inventory year by year and see what you have sitting and you know how much potential profit you have. Profit you have. Um, but we're we're only sitting on maybe three or four hundred items at a time and just kind of rolling through those. So it's never and we and we spend so little money on things. It's not like we have a hundred thousand dollars inventory. You know, I've probably got two thousand bucks worth of stuff sitting in the garage that hasn't sold yet. Um, and in terms of our business overall, that's just such a such a small percentage. You know, so I'm just not really worried about it. Yeah. Wonder, do you have uh, additional insurance against those items too? Like, do you have a an umbrella policy or something with your homeowners to be like, hey, just so you guys know, we got like at any given time, I have like a hundred thousand dollars of inventory in my garage. Yeah, I mean, so we have home insurance, obviously, and I do have like a personal umbrella insurance policy just to protect us. Um, or any lawsuits or anything like that. I've got an LLC for the business, but actually I don't have any business insurance at all um, other than, you know, the the umbrella and, you know, the LLC. Um, like I said, if it's, it, we just don't have that much inventory on hand. We sell everything so quickly. So even if our warehouse, you know, totally burns, the warehouse is part of our homeowner's property. So the building itself is covered. Um, the, I don't think the contents would be covered, but I mean, it's, we've got, a $300 computer, a hundred dollar printer and like $2,000 worth of inventory. So my warehouse burned down. I just make a YouTube video about it. And that video would probably make enough money to pay for all that stuff. <laughs> it's cheaper because the business policy is expensive for like what it covers, you know? So I'm just, I'm self-insured in terms of inventory. That's funny. He sounds, you sound a lot like Ryan Pineda. Ryan Pineda always says stuff like that. I was like, oh, I'll just, I'm just going to make a video about this. And then like, he makes so many videos about just, doing the random stuff that he wants to try. And then yep. even if it's just the worst. It doesn't matter. Cause yeah, it's like content. So that's awesome that yep. you have that option. YouTube, like the coolest thing about YouTube is that it allows us like an income stream that reduces the risk of like things we want to do in the video. So like I, this, this girl reached out to me recently, wanted to sell me like $7,000 worth of women's clothing. And we didn't really sell women's clothing that much, but I thought it was just risky enough to like, be on the edge of like entertaining versus like if it was 70,000, I don't think people watch that video because that's so unrelatable. Like people just don't have $70,000 to spend, you know, but seven is doable for a lot of people. Um, so we bought it. We may end up making three videos about it. And the videos have probably made close to $7,000 already. Um, so I just think of it as like, we got three free videos that gained us some subscribers uh, the money from the videos paid for all the clothes. And now we got $7,000 worth of clothes for free. Then we've already sold some. We probably made you know, like $3,500 or $4,000 back just from clothing sales. So it, it it really negates a lot of the risk in these deals if you can film them and monetize the, the deal. That's fun. It's kind of like buying a house, like with the house. And like I said, in terms of a real estate deal, paying $155 for a house worth $161 is terrible. You know, you, you're going to sit on that forever. But we've made, I think, like 25 videos about it so far. And each video is making like 1500 bucks or so in profit or in ad revenue. So I'm like, you know, even if the house burns down and we just get our 155 back, we still have 35, 30 to $35,000 in ad revenue that's that we've already been paid, you know? Instead awesome. of instead of renting it out, you just make a video every month that makes fifteen hundred dollars. Where you're just exactly. like, it's still not rented out, guys. I think this is the worst yeah. 
ever and people were like you need her to rent it out because you know you've got all these bills i'm like i mean we don't have a mortgage and the longer I take with the renovation, the more videos we can make. And I'm like, I'd rather make videos funny because videos don't tear up my house, you know. <laughs> it's a, we're we're very blessed to be in a situation like that. It's it's just really cool. Yeah, that's really cool too because the upside potential is infinite as well, which is is pretty awesome. Um, and that's what we talked to Cody about. So uh, when we brought Cody on, you know, we wanted to make sure that he's making the same amount of money as he was making his other job. And then we're like, dude, we're going to give you a piece of the pie. If this thing takes off, you know, and we continue to produce content and stuff, then he's going to get a portion of it. And then it grows infinitely, just like those videos about your rental. You have no idea how much those are going to produce in the future that are yeah. like, you know, it's basically like gaining equity in a way and building the house. So like, yeah, yeah, the upside is amazing for you. Yeah, YouTube. I mean, not every video pops off. I think we've made probably like 700 videos total. And we've got two of them that are like around three and a half million views. But like they're there's nothing really special about them. I don't know why they popped off so much. But like I think one of them's made like twenty six thousand dollars and the other one's made like twenty three thousand. And that video took both of those videos probably took less than five hours to make. So I'm like and people always ask us about hourly. Like I'll say we made five thousand dollars this month selling on eBay and YouTube. And people are like, well, how many hours did you work? I'm like, if you really want to talk about hourly, I've got a YouTube video that's made me about $7,000 an hour. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That uh, that integrated scheduler, the, the list perfectly software, I feel mm -hmm. like we have a similar tool for Airbnb where it lists across multiple uh, different listing websites all at the same time. So that's kind of a convenient tool. It sounds like you're not as organized when it comes to like systems and that sort of thing. Like you were talking about Chick-fil-A and how they just need to measure like money in versus money out. Of course, there's like number of customers and that sort of thing. Uh, what systems and strategies would you recommend that newbies use to know what the heck is going on in their business? Because we see people all the time in real estate that don't even know if they're making money or not. Yeah. I mean, just, just tracking your numbers. You know, like I said, we uh, my reseller genie is great. I think it's like twenty bucks a month for their most expensive tier, uh, and it's it, it's everything. I mean, you could you could run a million dollar reselling business with with that software, uh, especially like QuickBooks specifically for resellers. Um, so that's great. It tracks your inventory. It tracks it can tie to like eBay and all these different selling platforms. It gives your P and L um, for the, for the month as well as the whole year. So you can do your taxes based off of that. Um, so just a program like that would be fine. I mean, if you want to use a spreadsheet and track every individual item, that's very tedious, but it would also give you your exact profit, you know? So it's a lot of, it's good to know. Um, but once you get, once you get to a certain level, it's just almost impossible to track each individual item that you sell. And if you get to where you're selling, you know, 5,000 items a month, that's, that's hard. You know, that's a full, you'd have to have probably two bookkeepers full time just to like track all that. So uh, you know, if you're if you're a newbie, having something like my reseller genie uh, would be a good idea. Do you have a course? I do not. No, there's a Why lot of uh, not, Josh. <laughs> I just I thought about it early on, and I I think you know, like um, Alex Ormosi talks about like the give and take with business. Like you give, 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 and then you ask. Um, and I, I think so many people get into like the courses too early. They'll make a YouTube channel, they'll make 10 videos 
giving out some basic information that's honestly already on the internet somewhere. And then they'll make a course and ask people to spend 300 bucks on that. Um, and I don't know, I just, I felt like early on there was more value in like maintaining the goodwill of YouTube. Like I'm going to give you everything for free and I'm just going to make all my money in ad revenue. And in my opinion, I think we've probably made more money keeping people happy on the YouTube channel and keeping people coming back and watching more videos than we would have if we had tried to monetize our audience early on with a course. Even now, like we're at a, we're at a point, like I know if we made a course, we, we would sell it and probably make hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, but we'd also turn off a large portion of our audience because it would feel too, too salesy, you know? And I know you can't run a business based on like what everybody thinks of you. Um, it's just a personal choice. We've just decided to keep, you know, share everything we know for free on YouTube and then hope people watch our videos in return. I like it. What is, uh, what's next for you? Are you planning on like scaling this, building a business? Or are you just going to keep, you know, doing the YouTube? Like, what do you, what do you see, you know, next five, 10 years? Um, I really like the house flip series. Uh, I learned a lot in this house, house flip. Um, I redid all the plumbing in the house, you know, by myself that saved us about 5,500 bucks. Uh, and I like that we can kind of take our time with it. Um, but I don't, I mean, I'd like to do YouTube forever, you know, if I can, at least for until I'm ready to retire. Um, but I don't know, you know, a lot of things can change. So I really like the idea of setting up some rental properties. We have, we have two rental properties now. Um, if we, and we don't, we're debt free except our mortgage. So we don't need a ton of money to live on. So if we can get, you know, five rental properties that are netting two grand a month and you know, just live on that 10, um, we wouldn't really need to, we can still make YouTube videos, but we wouldn't need them to perform or need them to hit certain revenue goals. We could just kind of do it for fun and just live on, live on that. So I think that's our, our goal. You know, we don't, nobody really knows what the future holds, but um, building up our rental property portfolio, making YouTube videos about it, uh, and then eventually get to the point where we're just kind of on cruise control, doing what we want to do and having plenty of money to live on. Um, somebody the other day asked like when we're going to retire early and all that stuff. And I, I mean, we could probably, but I mean, what's there to retire from, you know, like our job is going to flea markets and making YouTube videos. Like it's pretty, it's pretty easy. Um, so financially, I mean, we've got investments, we've got, you know, three houses, the one we live in, the two we're renting out. So we could, I'm 32 now. I think we, if, if things keep going how they are now, we could probably retire when I'm like 40 um, in terms of like the money we have in our retirement account. If we pull off, you know, 6% of that, we could probably make enough with that to, to maintain our current lifestyle. Um, but if I get to 40 and people are still watching our YouTube videos, I'm still going to keep making them. Um, Josh, are you comfortable sharing your income or your net pro or your uh, net worth? Sure. Yeah. I don't really know what my net worth is exactly. I think our property values have changed a little bit. Our net worth is probably like, probably around 750,000 or so. Like we, this, this house is, is questionable because the value, it's one of the nicer houses in the neighborhood. Um, so I don't really know exactly what this one's worth, but probably between seven and 800 is probably our net worth. Uh, and then last year was really good in terms of net profit. We had YouTube was really good. eBay took off, had a lot of brand deals, uh, whatnot was really good last year. So I think last year we did 508,000 net profit. That was our taxable income last year. Nice. Can you break that down for us? Like uh, YouTube to uh, um, selling and all the different ones? 
I think YouTube was like 320 something last year. It was almost a thousand dollars a day. Wow. Uh, and then <laughs> every, whatever the, the mix of whatever the rest of it, like reselling, um, some brand deals, brand deals were probably like 30, maybe 25 to 30 last year. Uh, and the rest was eBay, whatnot. Um, I think that's it. Maybe some affiliates, a couple of affiliates, probably like 20 to 25 in affiliates, something like that. Bang. But, but yeah, YouTube was a big portion, but almost, yeah, almost, it was almost a thousand dollars a day, but it went from like October of 2021 to like October of 2022. And then it kind of, dipped a little bit. So, so I don't know, that's, that's pretty, pretty good. <laughs> wow. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. So it went from you, you know, selling, learning how to do that. Then it went to YouTube. Talk to us then, you know, we've, we've asked you a lot about the, the selling side. Talk about the YouTube and the building. Cause like, that sounds like where all your money's coming from now. How did that, how did you start that? And then like, uh, what was the, what was the trend looking like? Um, uh, so I, when I started YouTube, I never, I knew you could make money with YouTube, but I didn't know how, how, how much, you know, I didn't know how crazy it could be. And YouTube definitely comes in waves. Like we had some low months, some high months. We've been on kind of a lower, lower trend this whole year, honestly. Um, but I say lower trend, even our lowest YouTube month this year was still like four times as much as I made as an insurance underwriter. So I'm still very, very blessed. Um, but it's just, you know, in your business, everything's relative. So like you have a month, if you have a month, two years ago, I think our best month ever on YouTube was $48,000. Mm. Uh, and I always had that in the back of my head. I'm like, man, what can I do to get there again? Cause that was really nice. You know, that was awesome. That was super awesome. Um, and so uh, I don't know. I mean, the, the, my first YouTube check was, it took me nine months to get monetized. So you have to have uh, 4,000 watch hours and a thousand subscribers. And that took about nine months. My first check was like a hundred bucks. Then the next check was like 300. The next check was like 600. And then just kept growing from there. And then we stayed at probably stayed around a thousand bucks a month for a while. Um, and then we just like slowly pivoted our channel to cover like trending topics. So like when COVID happened, I started buying a bunch of these Goodwill mystery palettes. And that boosted us from like 30,000 subscribers to like 70,000 subscribers in the course of like three months. Uh, and then we probably started making like four to $5,000 a month. Um, and then we just slowly just kept growing from there. And I don't know why YouTube just pushes our content more so than others sometimes. So like the month we made 48, um, that was like 6 million views on like random videos. We had two random videos that were like two years old that popped off. Like total, like one day they were at 300,000 views. And then the next day they were at like a million views. I have no idea what happened. Both of them popped off like that. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of scary because it does seem like it's out of your control a little bit. You're just like at the mercy of YouTube. Um, but again, the the baseline that we've had for the last three or four years has been really good. And we keep our, we understand that it's kind of out of our control. So we have also kept our cost of living low. Like we haven't gone out and bought a Lamborghini or or whatever. Like we're keeping our standard very low, saving up as much money as possible and trying to be wise for the future, like buying rental houses and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the, that's kind of how the process went, just stayed consistent, tried to get better with each upload, tried to find new topics for videos that would keep people engaged. Cause you're always going to have people that fall off your audience on YouTube. So doing something new to get more replacement subscribers for them that fall off, uh, is super important. Any channel that has done the same thing over and over again, they're usually going to die out in about 
maybe four to six years. So any channel that has longevity, you know, more, more than that has probably pivoted at some point to do something more exciting. Have you found a certain like a uh, time, you know, like, okay, Hey, a eight minute video is going to be better than, you know, three minutes or like, is there like a formula that you created for them? Uh, not a formula I created. Um, I do think like the five to eight minute mark is probably pretty sweet for most newer YouTubers because when you're new, nobody knows you. And if they don't know you, they don't care about you. So they're not going to give you 30 minutes of their time. Um, but if it's a good title and thumbnail, they might give you five minutes if the video is good. Um, so stick to five to eight minutes until you build an audience, maybe five to 10,000 subscribers, and then slowly start making them a little bit longer. Cause I mean, the longer your videos, if people watch them, the more money you make. Um, so, I mean, there's this one girl, her name's Tiffany, and she makes like thrifting, thrifting videos, like doing voiceovers to her thrifting in, in the stores. And she'll do like hour long videos and she'll do, I think she's posting every day or at least maybe three or four days a week. Um, and she's getting millions and millions of views and people are watching like 60 to 70% of those videos, which is really good. So if you can do that, then by all means do it. But most people, um, it's very difficult to do that. So keep your videos as short as possible, but as long as necessary. Yeah. And at a certain point, you can put in a second YouTube ad break, right? Like after the yeah. four minute mark or something like that. You can pretty much do it whenever you want. Um, you, you can choose how many ads are on your videos. You just can't choose what the ads are. Um, and you don't want to turn people off. So like, so, uh, like Graham Stefan, some of his videos, there's just too many ads. I, I have YouTube premium now, so I haven't watched them lately, but back in the good old days when he was first taken off with all of his real estate content, he'd have like a 12 minute video with like seven ads. I'm like, man, this is hard to watch, you know? Um, and you just have to be a good steward of people's time. So I found some like one five second ad every like four to five minutes is pretty doable. Um, that's something that most people won't notice. If you do any more than that, you'll probably get some comments that like, hey, these are too many ads. Um, and we also don't do any non-skippable ads. All of our ads are five seconds and you can skip them. Hmm. But, you know, the more ads you do, the more money you make. So I get it. So your advice to new YouTubers is to stay at the five to eight minute mark mm -hmm. to not... Oh, and your, your video does have to be... It has to be eight minutes or longer for you to do mid-roll ads. If it's if it's shorter than eight minutes, you can only do one ad at the very beginning. So mm -hmm. that's that that's a good bring up. That's what I meant. Sorry. And then uh, you followed Alex Hermosi's advice of don't sell anything for as long as possible. That's Gary V's too. Gary V says that. And then I mean, the, it's like the longer you wait, the bigger you can ask, you know? So if you spend four or five years building a YouTube audience and you've never done a single brand deal, you've never asked them to buy any affiliate, you've never tried to sell them anything, you know, and you finally have like a book or like something you write, that's when you can like almost every single person that follows you will buy that, you know, cause you've never asked them. Um, there's, you know, I guess it's a bigger risk cause and a, a more patient takes more patience to like wait that long. Um, but I think it would, I think it'd be worth it. Cause there's, you know, YouTube is filled with people that, like I said, they'll make five or 10 videos and think they're a guru. And then they'll want to sell you some $500 course and people buy it and you'll make some money. But I think, I think the long term is, is going to lead to a brighter future. What audience size do you think that you have to get to before you can lean into that? Like when, <laughs> when are you actually a YouTuber? <laughs> 
I mean, so everything's relative. Like I remember when I first made a video and it got a thousand views, I was like, man, this is awesome. Like a thousand people watch this. Like that's crazy. And now we made a video yesterday and it's got like 52,000 views and it's, uh, it's four of 10, which is pretty good and on YouTube. YouTube will rank your video performance based on your last 10 uploads. And I'm like, oh, four of 10 is pretty good, but it could be better. But then I like, I remember back in the day, I'm like 52,000 views in a day. That's crazy. You know? Um, so I try to like stay humble in that, but also like realize the performance of our videos is important to how we run our business and like, make sure I'm not doing anything wrong there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all relative. I mean, you could have like, all. It, there's this like theory out there. It's like a thousand, like really true fans. Like you could have a YouTube channel with a thousand subscribers, but if those subscribers are all like die hard fans and they're like watching every video, they're watching you know, the entirety of every video, they're buying whatever you're, um, you're, you're selling essentially, um, you know, if you could get a thousand people to give you a hundred bucks a year, whether it's buying merch or buying a course or whatever, I mean, that's a hundred thousand bucks a year from a thousand subscribers, you know? Um, so like whatnot has really helped us with that. Whatnot has allowed us a platform of like people, like we bring cool stuff to the show, but sometimes people pay more than the item is actually worth on eBay because it's cool or because they get excited about bidding or because they just want to support us, you know? And I do the same thing. My friend the other night was selling some uh, beaver nuggets from Bucky's, which you can get them for like six bucks. And I was in an auction and it got up to like $55. I'm like, all right, I'll just buy them, whatever. So, cause it's not because they're worth $55 just cause it was a fun auction and I like him and, you know, want to support his business. So yeah. that's awesome. You get a thousand people to do that. That's $50,000 a year selling beaver nuggets. Yeah, I was looking across our socials. I think Dakota and I have about 30 true fans. So only 970 left. And then we got a <laughs> we got a creator, you know, a content creator business. Yeah. I mean, it's so, so when I first started, I think I think a lot of people found us because I was making like tutorial style videos, like how to sell on eBay. 10 most valuable things you can sell on eBay, 50 things you could sell on eBay for $50 or more. And as new people got into reselling, they started searching all this content. They found their videos, they learned something from those videos and they subscribed to the channel. So like I'm providing value to them. I, I can't tell you how many people that have said like, hey, thank you so much for telling me about Hoka shoes. I found some at the flea market, bought them for five bucks, sold them for a hundred. I never would have found that brand if it wasn't for you or you know various things like that. And that's like, that's reassuring to us because I'm like, I'm giving value to people, you know, not because I'm the first person to ever talk about Hoka shoes, but because I was the person they heard. So like, that's the whole purpose of social media and how you monetize it. You give value to people for free. And then eventually down the line, you offer them a, a, a way to give back. Like, Hey, if I've ever told you anything or shared a bolo or shared any information with you that has led to you making money, I have this plush of my dog for sale right now. It's $15. If you want to support the business, sign up for whatnot, buy this plush for $15. You get $15 for free if you sign up with our links. You can get the plush for free, just pay shipping like four bucks, and I would get $50 in referral bonus from whatnot. Like that's such an easy ask because one, they know who my dog is. They've he's been in almost every video for the last five years. It's free. I'm trying to sell something that's free, you know? There's that's the easiest thing in the world to sell. So just figure out some way to make money. And YouTube's great because it's all this money, like the $327,000 we made last year, didn't come out of anybody's pocket except the advertisers. 
our customers, the people that are watching our videos pay $0 for us to make a, a significant income like that. And I can't think of any other business in the world where your customers pay $0 and you're just like making all this money without having, you're selling a free product and making great money from it. It's amazing. The last thing I thought of for that plush is just to make sure Moe's gets something out of it. Cause then the, then the customers are a lot more likely to be like, Oh my gosh, his dog gets a bone. Every time I buy one, I'm going to buy a hundred. That's a great idea. That's like, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> That'd be awesome. What's your biggest struggle right now, Josh? I think just like keeping, you know, we, we constantly have a desire to like do new things and like, make our next video better than the last one. And um, it's just, it's hard, you know, at some point you do plateau a little bit in terms of your video ideas or, um, you know, different titles and thumbnails. I mean, how many times can you go to the flea market or the Goodwill bins and find profitable stuff, but make it an exciting experience for the viewer. Um, so it's just right now it's like, how can we increase the quality of the videos we make while also maintaining what those videos are, I guess, if that makes sense. I don't know. And like sometimes like my friend Caleb, he's trying to like cut back. He's doing a video a week now. He's trying to cut back to like maybe two or three videos a month so he can put more time and effort into them. But that's a higher risk, you know, because if the if those videos underperform, you don't make as much money. If you cut back your videos from two a week to one a week and all the videos still perform the same, you're going to lose half your revenue. So if you cut back, you have to increase the quality enough for them to perform better than, you know, the, the other two, the, the one a week that you aren't posting now. And I've got another friend that um, she posts almost every day, I think like five or six days a week. And her videos get less views than us, but she's making like three to four times as much money as us because just the quality of videos that are going out, she's getting more views per month because her audience has more videos to watch than, than our audience. Yeah, so I'm like, should I just post more videos, lower quality and just make the money and burn out? Or should I cut back, increase the quality and hope that the views go up? So that's, that's the struggle. It takes a certain personality to do those videos, like one video a day too. Elliot Hulse was a guy that I used to watch and he just had this, like his, his voice and his character was kind of like off-putting, but he was so entertaining at the same time he would say some controversial things that would keep people hooked and so kind of depends on your personality profile and if you're if what you're doing is working then it's hard to deviate from that yeah you just have any more okay uh we have a final question that we ask all of our podcast guests this one's a deep one so uh fast forward all the way to the end of your life you're on your deathbed. Now you have a final message to the world. It could be a sentence or a paragraph. It could be a mantra. It could be a billboard on Times Square. This is your final message to the world. It's your unique message. Somebody will look at it and be like, wow, I know that that was Harry Tornado. That was Josh. <laughs> that was 100% what his message to the world would be. What is your final message? Um. I don't really know how to package it into a message, but like, I, I, I have a passion for pursuing business. Like I've always had like this entrepreneurial spirit inside of me and I love making money and like 
you know, not just for the fun of making money, but like being able to give generously if we see a need in the community and like not have to worry about it, you know? Um, and the whole, it's just a game, you know, it's just money. Like it's, it's fun to like be successful and make money and do things that people see value in and want to reciprocate that. Um, but at the end of the day, like the ultimate goal is to live a life for Christ. And so that would be my message on, on my deathbed is like, although we have these business pursuits and we've tried to set ourselves up financially, the ultimate goal is so not to pile up money for ourselves, but to pile up money so we can finance different outreaches in the, in the community and in the world to spread the, spread the love of Christ and spread the word of Christ to every corner of the earth. Cause that is the ultimate goal here. Awesome. Love it. Uh, how can our viewers get a hold of you? How can they follow your content? What do you want to plug? Got that link for the uh, plush of your dog with the bone. That plush of my dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Harry Tornado, pretty much across the board. Board H A I R Y Tornado. Uh, Instagram Harry Tornado on YouTube. Harry Tornado on Xbox Live. If you guys want to play some Halo, um, I've tried to like brand is super important and like coming with a brand that's easy to remember and easy to spell and, um, you know, cohesive across, across different social platforms is, is very important. Um, so I, I don't really, I think I've got a TikTok somewhere, but I don't really mess with that. So Instagram, YouTube, Harry tornado, that's where it's at. Harry tornado at gmail.com. If you got any questions, uh, Harry tornado and whatnot, if you want to buy Mo's plush, uh, yeah. Do you have any final thoughts for our viewers before we get off of here? Um, I'm assuming that people that listen to this are like in, interested in business and interested in real estate or making money or something. Um, and, and I love that. Don't ever lose that drive. Um, you know, working for other people is okay if that's what you want to do. If you want to have a nine to five working with somebody else for the stability and the insurance and benefits and all that stuff, it's totally fine. Um, but if you are a naturally entrepreneurial person, like deep in your spirit and you just feel that, don't let that be stolen away from by some like corporate job. Like at least take nights and weekends and work on something to set yourself up for the future. If I hadn't been working on eBay and YouTube while I was working a full-time job and then I got laid off, I probably would have had to go to another nine to five job and I may not be here on this podcast right now, you know? So have something in the works, not because you might do it full time in the future, but just, it's a good idea. It's a good, it's like scratching that creativity itch that you have. If you have an itch for entrepreneurial stuff, um, work on it at night, work on it on the weekends, build something up in the background, just as a safety net, if nothing else. Awesome. Love it. Cool, man. Well, thanks again for coming on. That was freaking awesome. Happy to be here, man. This was fun. It was awesome to get to know you, man. Appreciate yep. it. Thanks for coming on. See you, man. Of course. See you See later. Ya.